It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, you know, Rich, every time I hear that introduction, I'm thinking of the most important issues of the day. Uh, and there are so many. So many important issues. By the way, nice to have you in the studio. Well, today, thank too. you. I'm glad to be with you. It's good to uh, be here. You know, the, the news, it just wears you out, but it's important. What happened in Ohio, that the Democrats won over the issue of abortion. And the subject of abortion was presented in such a way over and over and over again until people don't even know what they're voting about, what the issue really is, what abortion really is. So I thought today, maybe more than any other, I want our audience to be able to really think that through deeply because it's important. Listen to this. Who will speak up for the little ones? Helpless and half abandoned They've got a right to choose life They don't want to lose I've got to speak up, won't you? Yeah, you know, who is who is going to speak up? That's what was happening in Ohio. Who was really challenging the people to think? That's what's being left out of the dialogue today in this free country that we have where the majority wins, so on and so forth. By the way, folks, this little quote that I mentioned a couple of three weeks ago is so true right now even. A lie doesn't become truth, and wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. So hopefully before this program is over, we're going to give everyone in our audience today something to think about. Let's start out with, is the baby human? And at what point is it human? Listen to this. Some people will tell you that the baby that's developing inside you is not a person. So let's look at whether or not that's true. The science of embryology says that when your baby was conceived, the moment the egg and sperm came together, a new human being was created with his or her own unique DNA. That DNA will direct their development throughout their entire life, through every stage of human development, from embryo to fetus to newborn to toddler to teenager to adult. There's no question that your baby is human. Human parents create human children. So why do some people say that human beings who are still in the womb aren't persons? Here's what they're really saying. They're not denying that your baby is a human being. They're denying that he or she has the same rights and value as every other born human being. They're separating human beings into two groups and saying these human beings are valuable and these aren't. Now we've seen people divide human beings this way before in history and it has always led to serious human rights violations. Think about slavery. People argued that some human beings were not persons because of the color of their skin and that gave them the right to enslave them. Or think about the Holocaust. The Nazis argued that since Jewish people were not persons like they were, they had the right to kill them. In other words, people deny that human beings are persons when they want to unjustly discriminate against them. 
And we can look back now and see that every time people divided human beings into persons and non-persons, they were wrong. And valuable human beings suffered and died because of it. Human beings don't have to earn their rights or their value by having the correct race or gender or size or ability or age. We don't become persons, we are persons. So what is it that we all have in common that's the source of our value and personhood if it isn't things like our size or our level of development or even our ability to live without depending on others? There's only one thing we all have in common and that is being human. And your baby is a human person who shares this valuable quality equally with every single born human being who has ever lived. Yeah, isn't that something? You see, do we care? Uh, Rich, it was in 1992 or 1993 that we heard Dr. Jerome Lejeune testify. Now, he was from Paris, France, and at that time, the world number one geneticist. Dr. Lejeune said, well, whether the baby is human or not isn't even a question anymore. He said, science has proven that. He said, the question is, do we care? And if so, how much? What do you say? Well, I love that, where she said, uh, we don't become persons, we are persons. From the moment of conception. Now, we're not talking about your appendix. We're not talking about your tonsils. We're not talking even about a limb. A person can lose their leg or their arm or so on and so on. We are talking about a separate human being with their own uh, genetic makeup and everything else. However, they are very tiny. They are really tiny, but they are human beings. Created in the alive. image of God. And my word, this is what Dr. Monica Miller said about abortion, this is a number of years ago, that is what really is involved, and you will hear her talking from her own experience, and uh, I'm sorry if it's a little stark. It really needs to be. Listen to what the people in Ohio was voting about, and I don't think they even understood it. Listen to what Dr. Monica Miller says. I want to thank the members of the uh, House Committee on Families, Children, and Seniors for the opportunity to address you this morning. The legislation being proposed concerns a ban on dismemberment-type abortion procedures, and this is a subject on which I have singular and unique experience. In 2008, myself, along with other members of Citizens for a Pro-Life Society, discovered that the Woman Care Abortion Center in Lathrop Village, Michigan, then owned by abortionist Alberto Hodari, was throwing the remains of aborted babies into the trash dumpster in the alley behind the abortion clinic. Between February and April 2008, we made several trips to that alley and retrieved the aborted fetal remains. We held in our hands and we saw with our own eyes the severed limbs of dozens of aborted babies most of them early second trimester, some of them approximately 20 weeks gestation, as the abortion center killed unborn children through the 24th week of pregnancy. These unborn children were literally cut to pieces in dilation and evacuation abortion procedures. Their severed limbs were placed by Hodari on the very blue surgical paper upon which the women would lay for their procedures. 
Then after the, after the abortions were over, the blue paper was bunched up with the fetal remains enclosed inside and placed into a black trash bag that must have been positioned near the procedure table. We know this had to be the case, as we would always find the dismembered body parts in a particular black trash bag that contained only the blue surgical papers. These unborn children were human beings. They died a most horrific torture method of extermination. They were dismembered, a barbaric action we would not do even to an animal, shouldn't even do to an animal. Dismemberment abortions bear within them an even deeper significance. To dismember the unborn means that we actually dismember them from the human family. We sever them from inclusion into the human family. And these unborn children are literally, literally treated as if they were no more significant than trash. It's an indictment on our culture. And every sort of inhumane ingenuity that deprives the unborn of their right to exist needs to be opposed. This is wrong. The unborn have a right to exist. They're members of the human family, and we can do better for women who are in need. We, we, can, we, have, to, we have to, we have to oppose. This is our dark secret at the bottom of trash dumpsters behind abortion clinics. Thank you. Mm. You see, she was appearing at that time before a Senate committee, and she was making her statement. And I'm sure some of the politicians, you know, they said, well, we're going to reject that. That isn't what our party stands for. Or they have all kinds of reasons and all kinds of things like that. But that was her statement. Then you have now heard, and you must process that for yourself and for your church and for your ministry, for your sense of human uh, existence. What say, Rich? Right. And what happened in Ohio, Dad, is that they voted on a constitutional amendment and it passed to uh, enshrine abortion, unlimited abortion, right up to the moment of birth uh, no. for, for just about, for any reason whatsoever. Well, you know what? It's just like North Korea. So Ohio is on a par with North Korea uh, among the nations of the world isn't in abortion. That, isn't that something? Yeah. It's just shocking. Uh, 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 I mean, my word. But on the other hand, Rich, there's a lot of people listening now in, in Missouri and in Oklahoma and in Kansas. My word, look at what's happened to Kansas in the last several years on this subject. And that's why it's so important to vote. Now, here is Dr. Leventino. Now, listen, turn up your radio. I'm sorry if this is very stark. You may not want little children to listen. But turn up your radio and listen to what Dr. Leventino had to say. Second trimester d &E abortions performed between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches. And she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks. But she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand or smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. 
After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called a sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, and pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you, and use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head on the baby that size is about the size of a large plum, can't see it, but you pretty good idea you've got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of times, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester Dini abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. One more question, Dr. Levitino. Why did you end your practice of doing abortions? I did over 1,200 abortions over a four-year period in private practice, not counting the ones that I did during my training. Um, I met my wife at, um, during my first year of training at Albany Medical Center. We got married about a year later and found that we had an infertility problem. After years of failed infertility treatment and several years trying to adopt a child, we were blessed with a, adopting a, a little girl that we named Heather in August of 1978. Um, as sometimes happens in those situations, my wife got pregnant the very next month and we had two children ten months apart. Um, two months short of my daughter Heather's sixth birthday, she was killed in an auto accident and literally died in her arms in the back of an ambulance. Anyone who has children might think they have some idea of what that feels like, but unless you've been through it yourself, you have no idea whatsoever. Um, I know people find it hard to believe, but uh, what do you do after disaster? You bury your child and then you go back to your life. And I don't remember exactly how long it was after my daughter died that I showed up at Albany Medical Center OR number nine to perform my first second trimester DNA abortion. I wasn't thinking of it as anything special. This was routine to me. Um, but I reached in, literally pulled out an arm or leg and got sick. You know, earlier on I described stacking up body parts on the side of the table. It's not to, you know, gross people out, to use a simple term. When you do an, an abortion, you need to keep inventory. You have to make sure you get two arms and two legs and all the pieces. If you don't, your patient's going to come back infected, bleeding, or dead. Um, so I soldiered on and finished that abortion. And I know it sounds, as I said, hard for people to believe, but I'm, I'm telling you straight up my experience. You know, after over 1,200 abortions, first and second trimester up to 24 weeks and all the rest of it, and being very dedicated to it, for the first time in my life I really looked. I really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table. And I didn't see her wonderful right to choose and I didn't see all the money I just made. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And I stopped doing late-term abortions after that and several months later stopped doing all abortions. Thank you. That's pretty stark, isn't it? That's pretty stark. Now, Rich, who was Dr. Bernard Nathanson? Wasn't he the uh, founder of the National Abortion Rights Action That's League? Exactly right. That's exactly right. NARAL. That's exactly right. And then when he realized, when he woke up with all of his medical knowledge and everything else, now this is a number of years ago, 
uh, he said, man, look what I've been doing. And this is what he said about that. My conversion on this issue was not some kind of overnight epiphany. Uh, it was the result of my working in the area of fetology from the years 1973 to 1977. Fetology, as you know, is a new science. It uses new technology, such as ultrasound and uh, electronic fetal heart monitoring, many other new uh, modalities, which are sophisticated and fantastic. And we have opened up the whole life of the fetus for study. And of course, those studies have uh, finally culminated <coughs> in a growing realization that the fetus is entirely similar, identical to any of us, that it's a member of the human community, and as a result, all the rights and privileges and protections which we are afforded should, of course, uh, flow to that person. The expanding, the burgeoning of fetology has created and is creating <coughs> a very serious problem in hospitals. There is a paradox, an antinomy, if you like in that on one floor of a hospital, we are now diagnosing the illness of the fetus. We are using all these technologies to treat it with medication. Uh, we are even performing surgery on it now. And on the next floor down, that very same fetus is being casually destroyed for no reason whatever. Now that is creating, as I say, an intolerable moral tension in hospitals. And as the public begins to realize more and more through the media, that fetology is an expanding and a, an exciting science and is, is giving us a new perception of the fetus. It is creating an increasing tension in a lot of sectors in the public as well. You know, it's curious that in no other branch of medicine than I know of do we bring to bear expensive and increasingly sophisticated technology for diagnosis of the patient's illness or disorder only thereupon to eradicate it. Uh, not the illness, but the patient. So. As I say, we, we, we cannot continue to allow this kind of moral tension to accumulate. It is ripping apart various segments of medicine now. And now we are in a very different quandary. Those of us who practice medicine, who practice obstetrics, now Dr. Morgenthal does not practice obstetrics. He is not a fetologist. He does not understand these things. Uh, but on the other hand, you see those of us who do are caught in this psychological and moral whipsaw where on the one hand we are treating the patient and on the other hand we are casually destroying it. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I hope this is meaningful to the people listening to get this issue straight and to examine your own heart, to examine your own sense of justice and humanity and everything else that goes with it, let alone what the Bible says about it. Now here is Senator, I'm, I'm so happy we have some politicians and Senator Josh Hawley is one from Missouri. Thank God for him. But this is what Senator James Lankford said. And Senator Lankford is from Oklahoma. Here it is. I do have a very profound belief that in the value of every single person. Uh, and I can't seem to shake uh, some of my friends on the Democratic side that believe some children are valuable and some children are not. I, I just I can't get past that yeah. uh, to say I really do believe every child is a gift from God. And I'm, I don't have the right to be able to declare that one's valuable, that one is medical waste, and to just set that aside. I mean, what he's talking about, folks, is just plain logic. One plus one is two. Isn't that right? All right. Now, here's what another uh, quote from Senator Lankford. 
So it was actually on the floor of the Senate and spoke. Uh, I had a picture of a child uh, in, in the womb. It was a great three-dimensional sonogram uh, picture. Those pictures are, are remarkable. Now, when my kids were little, uh, it was just like this fuzzy black smear on the page. You kind of figure it out. Now you can see their nose and their eyes and their lips, and it's remarkable, the technology that we can see. I had that picture behind me, and I said, there's really only one question that we have to resolve. There's, there's only one out there, and there's all these options. People saying, there's only one question that I resolve. Is that a child? And I could show the picture and say, is this a, is, I can count 10 fingers, I can count 10 toes, there's a beating heart, there's a functioning nervous system, there's DNA that's different than the mom's DNA. They're not the same DNA. Uh, right. that, that tissue is different than every other tissue in her body is that tissue right there of that child. And to see this face and to say, how can you say that's not a child? How, how, how can you say that? So really, I try to be able to bring it back to the central issue. A lot of people talk about it's a woman's choice, and if she wants to keep this child, it's upper. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's first begin with the real question. Is that a baby? Because right. if that's a baby, what are we going to do about that as yeah. a culture? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something, folks? Isn't that something? Now, now, you're hearing something on this broadcast the media does not want to acknowledge. The media, I'm telling you, um, the people up in Ohio, uh, the, if they only had the media to go by, plus a silent church, why, why they, were, they were out in the water without a paddle as far as figuring it all out. All right, now I want you to listen to this. Here it is. Please don't tell me that you follow science and you ignore the life of a child yeah, because so there, there's nothing in the womb uh, that doesn't show that's not a life. In fact, I jokingly tell people if, if what we found in the womb we found on Mars, we would say there's life on Mars. Right. Uh, but no one seems to admit that's life in the womb. Yeah. All right. Now, my dear friend who is with the Lord now for a number of years, Dr. Adrian Rogers was a preacher there in Memphis who preached truth and dealt with things that had to be dealt with, whether it was popular or not. Here's what he said. Here's the diary of a little girl. October the 5th, dear diary. Today my life began. My parents do not know it yet. I am so small, I'm as small as the pollen of a flower. But it is I already. I will be a girl. I will have blonde hair and blue eyes. Nearly everything is settled already, even that I shall love flowers. October 19, I have grown a little, but I'm still too small to do anything by myself. My mother does almost everything for me. Though she still does not know it, she is carrying me under her heart. She does not know that she is already helping me and that she's even feeding me with her own blood. She is so good. But is it true that I'm not yet a real person? That only my mother exists? I am a real person. Just as a small crumb of bread is still real bread, my mother is, and I am. October 23, my mouth is just now beginning to open. Just think. In a year or two, I'll be laughing, and I will start to talk. My first word will be, Mama. October 25, today my heart began to beat. It will beat softly for the rest of my life, never stopping. After many years, it will tire. Then it will stop, and I shall die. November 2, 
I'm growing continually. My arms and legs are taking shape, but I must wait a long time before those tiny legs will raise me to my mother's arms and before those little arms will be able to conquer the earth and befriend people. November the 12th, my fingers are beginning to form on my hand. How small they are. One day I will stroke my mother's hair with them. I shall take her hair in my mouth and she'll say, oh, nasty. <laughs> November 20th, only today that doctor told my mother that I'm living here under her heart. How happy she must be. Are you happy, mother? November 25, my mother and father are probably thinking about a name for me. They don't even know that I'm a little girl. So they're probably calling me Andy, but I want to be called Barbara. I am growing so big. December the 10th, my hair is growing. It is as bright and shiny as the sun. I wonder what kind of hair my mother has. December the 12th, I'm almost able to see though it's night all around me. When mother brings me into the world, it will be full of sunshine and overflowing with flowers. I've never seen a flower, you know, but more than anything, I want to see my mother. How do you look, Mom? December the 24th. I wonder if my mother hears the delicate beat of my heart. Some children are born with sickly hearts, and then the gentle finger of the doctor performs miracles to make them healthy. But my heart is healthy. It beats so evenly. Tup. Tup, tup, tup. You shall have a healthy little daughter, Mom. December 28th. Today, my mother killed me. A diary of a preborn child. Yeah. I tell you what, folks, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and gave it back to the states. What they really did is say, listen, folks, this is something you've got to address for yourself. You've got to take it into your families, into your communities, into your churches, into your state legislature, and make sure, make sure that life, L-I-F-E, of the most innocent is protected and valuable, and we don't want any fooling around. Rich, we got to get out of here. What's our That's number? right. The 1-800-LISTENER uh, comment line is 1-800-345-2621. 1-800-345-2621. This is Dick Bott with my son Rich, uh, another chapter of The Complete Story, as a public service, by the way, and we'll see you later. 